am Srimati Karuna, the director of the Gandhi Memorial Center in Washington, D.C. I bring to you this series, Speaking of Gandhi, sharing the messages from the life of the Mahatma. The extraordinary relationship of Mahatma Gandhi and Madeline Slade, the Englishwoman who came to be known as Miraben, was like that of a master and beloved disciple, writes John Haynes Holmes. When they first met, Gandhiji asked her to call him Bapu, or spiritual father, and she changed her English name from Madeline Slade to that of Miraben. Gandhiji wrote to his faithful disciple from his ashram, from prison, from his march to the sea, and even from abroad. He wrote to his faithful disciple with great attention to detail. The daughter of a British admiral, a popular social figure, highly educated and early on in her life enraptured by music, Madeleine Slade was drawn to the French author Romain Roland by his writings on Beethoven and through Romain Roland to Mahatma Gandhi, whose biography the great Frenchman had written. Mirabin read his book on Gandhiji, and from that moment she knew her life would be dedicated to Gandhiji's work. And in the words of Dr. John Haynes Holmes, the Gandhi-Mirabin episode is one of the great idyllic stories of human life. With great self-control and discipline, Madeline Slade prepared herself, both physically and spiritually, for what would become her lifelong task of dedication to Mahatma Gandhi and his efforts in India. Only after having completed nearly a year of laboriously preparing herself did she feel herself fit to come into Gandhiji's presence and offer her service and her life. Amidst all of the vast movement for national independence, meetings, and campaigns, Bapuji himself quietly sat down to write to his absent disciple on what may well seem to be more matters of trivial concern. There is much of his thought and discussion in these letters of diet and health, and also with some anxiety for her and her health and well-being. Writing for Mahatma Gandhi was not an art, but rather a very practical medium of expression. He was not concerned with style, but with meaning. He had something to say, and he felt he must say it clearly and quickly. His multitudinous books, articles, editorial speeches, letters, perhaps are not considered literature in the ascetic sense of the word. They're more than literature, said John Haynes Holmes. The writings of the Mahatma document an entire era. Every stroke of Gandhiji's pen, like every tone of his voice, was fraught with destiny. Single-handed and single-minded, this man turned the tides of history. Listen now as... Suzanne Simcoe reads from the words of Madeline Slade, of Mirabin, and as she describes 
her very first introduction to the Mahatma. My head bows in reverence and my heart overflows at the thought of Bapu's infinite love. How can I express myself in words? Bapu always told us that we must not look upon him as a guru, that no man in these days is worthy of that status, and that God alone is the one real guru. Make God your guru, and he will never fail you, said Gandhiji. And yet, Bapu was a guru of gurus, in that he taught one to find God and to depend on God alone. That is the central teaching which runs through the whole of the letters he wrote to me. In his letters, there is no question of literary style or philosophical flights. It is the most simple, direct, and intimate teaching of a spiritual father to his stumbling child. What patience and what love are revealed. May God help me to become worthy of that love is my continual prayer. The importance he attached to the so-called little things in life and the tenacity and energy with which he pursued what would be called by lesser people small matters, there was nothing too small for Bapu's meticulous attention and no one too lowly for his loving care. At the same time, his relentless search for truth made any waste of time or sentimental weakness impossible. Having been brought up in an English country home, I was familiar with rural life, besides which there was, inherent in me from the beginning, a profound love of nature. At the age of 15, I first heard the music of Beethoven. Forthwith, my spirit within was awakened to a living sense of the divine power, and prayer to God became a reality. Through Beethoven's music, I became led to Romand Roland, and through Romand Roland to Bapu. These were not just easy stages. On the contrary, darkness, hope, despair, all had to be passed through before the pure light of truth broke in upon my troubled soul and led me to my destination. All along, a power was impelling me. I did not understand it for a long while. But by the time I came to know Romain Roland, this force was becoming apparent to me, and from the time of our first meeting at Villeneuve, an extraordinary sense of mellow happiness possessed me. I felt something was coming. I had not the slightest idea what, I only knew that all would be well. Even when Romain Roland talked to me about Bapu and said a little book he had written about him was in the press, I did not realize more than that I must read the book. Then the day came when the book was published. I went to the publisher's shop in the Latin Quarter of Paris where I was staying. The whole shop window was full of a little book with an orange-colored cover on which was printed in black, Mahatma Gandhi. I bought a copy, took it to my lodging, and began to read. I could not put it down. I read and read 
and as I read, the dawn in my heart glowed brighter and brighter, and by the time I had finished, the sun of truth was pouring his rays into my soul. From that moment, I knew that my life was dedicated to Bapu. That for which I had been waiting had come, and it was this. I straightway went to London and booked a passage to India at the P&O office. I also sought out and devoured all the literature I could, writings of Bapu, writings of Tagore, English and French translations of the Bhagavad Gita, even the Upanishads and the Vedas I peeped into. But very soon I began to realize that I was a fool to think that I could rush to Bapu like this. I was wholly unfit spiritually and physically, and I must first put myself through a severe training. I accordingly went back to the P&O office and changed my reserved berth for one year later. I now set about things in a thorough and systematic way. First, I studied the rules and regulations of the Sabarmati ashram in every detail. Then I began changing my diet item by item until I reached pure vegetarian food. I started sitting cross-legged on the floor. Ten minutes at a stretch was all I could do in the beginning, but with steady practice I became perfectly at ease. I commenced lessons in Urdu and, of course, learned carding, spinning, and weaving. This had to be in wool, but gave me good practice. At the same time, study of the literature continued. In the midst of this training, news came in the paper that Bapu had gone on a 21 days fast for Hindu-Muslim unity. As the days went by, the papers began saying that Bapu would probably not survive. I prayed to God in anguish. The days dragged on, but I never slackened in my training because, even if Bapu were to pass away in his physical form, I knew I must go to India to serve his cause. It seemed an eternity, but at last the 21 days were over and the news came that the fast had been safely broken. Up to now, I had not written a word to Bapu, but on the successful completion of the fast, my heart was so full of thankful joy that I just had to write. As a thank offering, I enclosed in the envelope a check for 20 pounds. During the summer months, I spent my time working with Swiss peasants in their hayfields so as to be in good trim for any physical work which might be in store for me in India. When my year's training was about three quarters over, I wrote again to Bapu reporting my progress, enclosing some samples of my yarn and asking whether I might dare to hope that I should be accepted in the ashram. It might have been expected that my parents would try to dissuade me from departing, especially as my father was closely connected with high British officials, being an admiral and former commander-in-chief of the East Indies Squadron, 
and as my mother and I were deeply attached to each other by a fundamental similitude of nature. But somehow they understood the spiritual nature of the urge that impelled me and never said a word to me in disapproval. In the autumn, I paid a last visit to Villeneuve to bid farewell to Romain Roland and his sister. Then I went back to London, packed up a few belongings, and set forth. I parted with my mother at Victoria Station and with my father in Paris, and fate so willed it that I never saw them again. On October 25, 1925, I boarded the P&O steamer at Marseille. The voyage was one long dream of spiritual ecstasy, and the moon, as she rose night after night in the east, shed her light on the waters in a glorious silver path leading on and on toward the blessed goal. After twelve days, I landed in Bombay, and in the early morning of November 7th, I reached Ahmadabad by train. Friendly faces at the station looked through the carriage window, and before I knew what had happened, I was out of the train and being seated in a car by someone who introduced himself as Vallabhai Patel, another who said he was Mahadev Desai returned to see to the luggage. The car drove off. I looked at my companion and asked but one question. How far was the ashram, and how soon should we get there? From that day to this, every time I see the Sardar, I think of those moments of supreme suspense. We crossed the bridge over the Sabarmati River, and I again asked the question. Then came fields with some houses in the distance, and I once more inquired. I was quietly told that we were still a little way off. I sat transfixed with anticipation. Suddenly, my companion remarked, You see those trees and some buildings beyond? That is the ashram. In a moment, the car drew up under a big tamarind tree, and I found myself walking down a little paved garden path we passed through a small gate, then up two steps to a veranda and through a door into a room. As I entered, I became conscious of a small spare figure rising up from a white cushion and stepping towards me. I knew it was Bapu, but so completely overcome was I with reverence and joy that I could see and feel nothing but a heavenly light. I fell on my knees at Bapu's feet. He lifted me up and, taking me in his arms, said, You shall be my daughter. And so it has been from that day. I had reached my destination, the destination from which I was to begin. The old life was finished as if it belonged to a past birth, and I began life anew. And from now, the real struggle began. In the old life, I had groped my way through mist and fog, led by an inner urge which I could not explain. But now, 
I emerged into the bright sunlight, and the steep, narrow path of truth showed clear before me, leading up and up, so beautiful, and yet so hard to climb. With boundless joy and energy, I started on the pilgrimage. Numberless times have I slipped and stumbled. Many have been the bruises and cuts. Bitter have been the tears with which I have watered the path. And once or twice, the clouds have come down on the mountain, and I have all but lost my way. But Bapu's love has at last led me out upon the upper pastures, where God's peace fills the sweet mountain air. Gandhi's letters to Mirabhan were often very simple in their expression, not necessarily focusing on the important events of the world, but speaking very frankly of his daily life, life on the road, life with his friends and followers. These letters had been saved, collected by Mirabhan, and eventually published a book with letters from 1924 to 1948. These letters were published in a book entitled Gandhi's Letters to a Disciple. They were originally published in 1949 by Navajivan Press. The book was later reprinted in New York in the United States by Harper and Brothers Publishers. In 1950. Listen now as Tony Venturas reads from a few of the letters Mahatma Gandhi wrote to Mirabhan. The following letter from Bapuji to Mirabhan was postmarked December 11, 1926, from Wartha. Chiranjivi Mira, I have your four letters. Two I have acknowledged already. I suppose you know the meaning of chi. It stands for chiramjivi, meaning long-lived. That is the blessing which an elder prefixes to the names of the younger members of his family. I like all your letters. I am glad you had an early opportunity of going to the Muslim friend. You should give me your day's doings and describe the prayers, the studies, and the meals. Tell me, what are you eating? What is the quantity of milk you are taking? What are the times of your meals? Are there mosquitoes there? Do you take your walks regularly? Do you write any Hindi? Does anyone teach you? What fruit are you getting? I duly got the corrected chapter. You should find out the posting time. I leave Warda on 21st. Motilalji insists on my going to Guwahati. You will not forget the Urdu script, please. The American friends, mother and daughter, are still there. I think I told you about their arrival. The daughter is a teacher in an important school. They are leaving tomorrow. Jamnology has over 40 guests on my account. Poor Junkie Ben. I am keeping exceptionally good health. Exercise regularly morning and evening. You can't complain of any brevity about this letter. With love, Bapu. In January of 1927, Bapuji wrote to Mira from Benares, also known as Kashi. Chiranjivi, Mira, I have your letter, or letters is it? I am writing this against my time for going to the station. 
I'm glad all of the varied experiences you are having. I shall not be angry so long as you keep your health and your mental balance. For the rest we learn through mistakes. Not that I know of mistakes made by you. But where there is consciousness of mistakes, readiness to mend is sufficient penance and antidote in a majority of cases. I had rich experiences in Kashi, but of these I have no time to speak. With love, Babu. In April of 1932, Babaji wrote to Miraben from Yeravda Mandir. Chiranjivi Mira, I have your letter. It seems to me the trouble with the right hand will persist. On coming here, I began writing freely with the right hand, and I soon discovered that it was no use. It may be one sign of creeping old age. If it is, it is cause neither for grief nor wonder. Had I learned to use the body merely as an instrument of service and his temple, old age would have been like a beautiful ripe fruit with all the qualities of its species at their highest. It would be a stroke of good fortune if I escape merely with such disability. But even this is idle speculation. I have no business to speculate about these things. It is enough to note such things and take reasonable precautions within the prescribed limits. You will not, therefore, worry about the hand. My weight stands at 106 pounds, except for the fasting day, when it naturally dropped to 103 and a half. I take during 24 hours five to six slices of well-toasted white bread, 30 dates, bowl full of boiled vegetable once, two spoonfuls of honey at 4.15 a.m., with a pinch of soda and hot water, and soda and lemon twice. I take two ounces, nearly, of almond paste. This seems to satisfy me. If it fails, I shall go back to milk. I sleep between 9 and 3.40, and twice during the daytime, 20 minutes each time. I spin 375 rounds in two days. I have not begun carding yet. Your supply seems to be inexhaustible. The balance of the time is given to reading and writing. Just now I am reading Ruskin's Fors Clavigera, a deeply human document. He is dreadfully in earnest. These letters are his best efforts at self-expression in word and deed. Much time is taken up in writing and now also dictating letters. As I am allowed to write to fellow prisoners, naturally there is more writing to be done than last time. I'm glad of it. I send something on moral problems to the ashram every week, and now I have commenced the history of the ashram for the past five days. This answers all of your questions about self. Vallabhai and Mahadev are doing excellently. In these matters we are subject to no restrictions that we would not impose upon ourselves. Abstention from salt for a time can do no harm and does produce the results you have noticed for yourself. The weakened effect you notice is temporary and can be greatly counteracted by taking fresh limes in some shape or other. I suppose you know I have gone without salt continuously for six or eight years without noticing any ill effect. Many had joined me in the experiment. You may, therefore, prolong your saltless experiment to the extent that it benefits you. Milk contains much free salt. There is a saltish taste in raw milk. Mahadev has the hymns you sent him. He is going to work at them. I forgot to tell you that I have now developed the habit of studying the heavens. As you see, my pen is exhausted. This is Mahadev's. And it is now past bedtime, 9.15. But I think I have left nothing unanswered. 
love from us all. Chiramjivim Mira, your expected letter has just arrived. Like you, I need not delay mine. I am delighted that you have Kamala Devi with you, and that she joins you at the morning prayer and sings bhajans in the evening. Her vigorous skipping reminds me of the time when I used to skip for the same reason as Kamala Devi. I had taught the boys also. Ramadas was the gracefulest and best. It is certainly a fine exercise, especially in winter. It is good that you are continuing your saltless experiment and that it is agreeing with you. We have here a new doctor. He is a Parsi major. He loves his work and has the innate dignified courtesy that you see invariably associated with a cultured Parsi. He has been giving me electric massage for the right thumb and left elbow. The elbow has been causing pain for some time, but only when I work in particular ways. He thinks that it may be necessary to stop spinning for some days, having done double work during the national week. So far as my output is concerned, it is now about 85 rounds per day, for I have anticipated Dr. Mehta by using the left hand for turning the wheel. This is my fourth day. I have made very good progress. The right hand draws more much steadily and the thread is finer and more uniform. This additional practice with the left hand again makes me think of the necessity of trying to use the left hand equally with the right, and we should teach the children from now to be ambidextrous. I have already written about this to Narandas. As a result of the two days fast, I suppose, I have lost two pounds in weight. There is nothing in this loss, if I do not lose steadily. If I do, I shall go back to milk without the slightest hesitation. I have given you this information only by way of report. You must not brood over this loss of weight. The history of the ashram goes on, though slowly. In order to overtake the arrears of correspondence, I have suspended it for the past three days. I shall soon resume it. Study of the heavens has come to stay. I have now a few books on it. This study puts me more in tune with the infinite. I won't need to card for spinning. Mahadev has already begun. He always cards more than he spins, and this he does for me. The present stock being so regularly replenished, it is not likely ever to be exhausted. We should learn the poor man's art of living. I know that I am the greatest hindrance in our march towards that ideal. You and the other survivors will have to rearrange many things that by my identification with them have been or will be left as they should not be. We are all keeping well except that Vallabhai's nose and constipation still worry him as before. Dr. Mehta is now dealing with both the disorders and hopes to produce some relief in a short time. Whilst this was being written in the midst of interruptions, we saw from the newspapers received that Kamala Devi has been transferred to Belgaum. A prisoner has no choice. His or her body is not in his or her own keeping. Love from us all. On October 12, 1934, Gandhiji wrote to Miraben, describing his desire to know all about her travel and time in America. Chiranjivi Mira, I have your letters, but as you were going to America, I knew that it was no use my writing to you, and I hardly think that you expected anything from me or any of us in America. I am looking forward to a recital of your experiences in America. It was a good thought on your part to have written to Dr. Holmes and to have gone to America. It was an experience you certainly needed. I understand your scheme about things in England. We must discuss that when we meet. 
Therefore, I do not propose to give any opinion just now. Things are shaping themselves here. I do not know what is going to happen. My mind is certainly set on going out of the Congress. I feel quite sure that it will do good to the Congress and me. I shall better influence the Congress by being outside. I shall cease to be the weight that I am just now, and yet I shall be passing my views on to the Congress whenever occasion demands it. I must not give my time to writing about these things. These have to be attended to by Mahadev and Parallel. Every minute just now counts. Love, Babu. On January 20th, 1939, Gandhiji wrote to Mirabin, who was at that time working in the Northwest Frontier Province. Jiranjavi Mira, your letters are all works of art, whether brief or long. You need not worry about my health. I am taking all the care I can. I am taking the rest that is possible. BP is under control. Jumpy, I fear, it will remain unless I lead the forest life and cease all outward activity. But that would be wrong. I must discover the art of living long, though full of activity to the end. I shall never completely master it, having dissipated so much of my life in youth. We have to be thankful for what God vouchsafes of the rest of my life. Love, Bapu. These are just a sample of the letters and correspondence between Mahatma Gandhi and Mirabin, Madeline Slade. The letters tell of so many moments shared and inspired that brought this faithful disciple from Europe to India, in which she found her life reborn in India and her villages. I encourage you in your reading and study of the life of Mahatma Gandhi and those who influenced his life and those inspired by his life. I look forward to sharing with you more messages each week from the life of Mahatma Gandhi. As he said, my life is my message.